Hello everyone, and I am your friendly neighborhood, Jake Hollingsworth, and welcome to the first episode of the Spectacular Spider Nerd Podcast. I have been teasing this for a little bit on my Instagram page, The Spectacular Spider Nerd, which you can go follow on Instagram right now. So... I've been teaching this, of course, because there was the Andrew Garfield reel that I put up, that I put up, and then the Tom McGuire one, and then the Tom Holland one, because of course all of the Spider-Man recently just happened with Spider-Man No Way Home. So, as you can tell by this podcast, this is going to be a very Spider-Man themed podcast, and some of you may have heard it before, may have heard my voice before, if you've listened to the Movie Majors podcast that I have with my brother Eli. Or even the X Files, X Files, and X Men podcast I have with Eli Spencer. Coincidentally, they're both named Eli. So, and here this is just this. This is something. If you're wondering why I started to do this, it's because I really wanted to do something with Spider Man. Because I've been, because I have like all this. Because I'm, of course, I'm a big lifelong Spider Man fan, and so I've been wanting to do something with this. And so I thought, hmm, maybe the best way to do this would be doing a podcast about it. So I came up with the idea of the spectacular Spider Nerd. And so I decided to come up with this podcast so I can talk about Spider-Man stuff. So how does this work is I have to have a very, well, well, not well thought out, but like a thought out plan where it's just basically just a bunch of ideas that I cobbled together that I think would be good. So I'm going to start out with this first episode, as you can see by the title, is going to be talking about Spider-Man himself, which uh, which we'll get get through in in a second. And then the next next we'll be covering all the villains, all the major villains that you should know in release order. Like, well, not like, but at least like the the order they came debuted in the comics. Like, for example, like whenever like Green Goblin or Doctor Octopus or whoever, what I've been covering all those major villains that like all the major Spidey villains and like the in the order that they came out, like whichever one came first. In the case of this one, it will be the Chameleon, which we'll talk about next week. So, but before I did those, before I did the villains, I just thought to myself, maybe just for the sake of doing it, it would be fun to cover Spider-Man, Peter Parker himself, give him his own episode, and then move into the villains. So that's what I'm choosing to do here on this first fresh episode, pilot pilot cast for the spectacular Spider Nerd. And so, without further, without any more delays, let's get swinging on right in. So, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, I'm sure. All of you know who Peter Parker Spider-Man is. Well, Spider-Man is Peter Parker. I'm sure all of you know who he is. I'm sure all of you know the origin because it's been done to death so many different times. But it's important. I felt it was important for this podcast. Like I said earlier, I felt it was important for this podcast to start out because if I'm going to be doing the villains and their origins and how they were created and whatnot, I just thought it would be fair to do it for Spider-Man, the main Spider-Man himself. So... Of course, everyone knows the story. So Peter Parker was created in the 60s, 1962 to be exact. And he, was, he debuted in Amazing Fantasy number 15 all the way back in 1962. And this, is the 60th, and this, is, this year, 2022, is also the 60th anniversary of Spider-Man. So that's another reason why I decided to make this podcast. Because after all, it is 60, Spider-Man, this character has been in our lives for about 60 years now, which is insane. So... He was created at a time, Spider-Man was created at a time where there were always a bunch of adult superheroes. Like, all the characters, all the superhero characters that were around at that time were adults. And occasionally, some of them would have a teenage sidekick at their side. No pun intended. So, doing a teenage superhero, like, as a main hero, was almost unheard of. But Stan Lee, while it was, like, the Marvel is in this point where they needed to keep creating new characters to keep their audience interested... And so that's when they came up with Spider-Man. And even Marvel executives at the time were skeptical of Spider-Man. They didn't, they didn't think that a teenager with all these problems, like literally Stanley was told that this was going to be a bad idea because like hero can't, a hero can't have problems. He can't have stuff like that. That's how Spider-Man was pitched. So that's why Spider-Man stood out amongst all the other ones because he's basically just an everyday high school kid who has normal human problems, which... All the Marvel characters have this. Like, that's what makes Marvel and DC so different. Like, DC's always more high-flying, like, god, small-g level powers. And Marvel was always more grounded, more mainstream, and always kept their characters more relatable and gave them very human problems. Kind of like how the X-Men were used for, like, to use, for, like, use for, like, political stuff at the time. And the Fantastic Four are very much a family-type thing. And then Spider-Man is a high school kid with superpowers. Like, he's just an everyday normal high school kid, just about 15 years old, and he just gets a bitten by a spider, which we'll get to in a second, where he becomes a hero. 
And that's what made him stand out so much because he was so relatable because he's just this, like, like I said, he's just this normal kid who has every, he has normal problems like getting to class on time and talking to girls, which I'm sure all high school kids have had back then. And of course, he also gets picked on by boys, which, I mean, that was a problem. That's all that, I mean, nowadays you could say that that's dated because, um, of course, high school dynamics have changed over the years and it's not like that now, but back then that was a thing where if you were nerdy, you were picked on. I mean, it's still, I mean, you could say maybe, but nowadays people have moved, society has moved on from that, and now you're just accepted. If you're a nerd, you're accepted, so you're not like an outcast, because that's, that's like the one part of the Spider-Man mythos that's dated. So, Peter Parker himself is a very relatable character, and he lives with his aunt and uncle, because usually a lot of times characters are, not, are never interesting if they have two parents. Like, so this, like, Super Cohen Brothers put it best, perfect isn't interesting. That's why... In everything, you ne- either characters only have one parent or zero. And so here, in the case of Peter Parker, he lives with his aunt and uncle. And so in Queens neighborhood, and he just he's just a normal kid just trying to get by. And so he goes on this field trip where he goes on a life-changing adventure. Well, not life-changing adventure, but life-changing field trip where he's watching a science experiment take place. And then the, the spider gets hit by a bunch of radioactive radiation and then he gets bitten by a spider, a radioactive spider to be exact. And then he, of course, starts to gain the powers of a spider. Which, that's where Spider-Man is more. But he gets bit by the spider, but he doesn't become Spider-Man just yet. Instead, he goes into... Test his powers to see what, what he can do is make some money. And then he even also goes into showbiz for a little bit to show him off on TV. Because Peter Parker's whole motivation... Comics back then was just to be noticed. He was just kind of like someone who's never noticed, picked on, ignored by everybody. And he just used these powers as a way to get noticed. That's why he did showbiz and even wrestling matches against Crusher Hogan. And so, but the thing with Peter Parker was he was still kind of a selfish person. Because when he's doing a wrestling match and after it's over, this, this mugger comes in and steals and stealing from somebody. And so Spider-Man chooses to just let him go because that, at that point in Peter Parker's life, he was just out for num- his, himself, which, I'm sh- which everybody does struggle with. And then, but then later he realizes that, 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 there was, that his uncle, his uncle, which has basically been his father figure because his parents were dead, have died, and that's why he goes as an uncle. His uncle gets, he learns his uncle is shot. And then he becomes, puts on the Spider-Man costume again to go try and find the murderer. Only to learn that that the person who killed Uncle Ben is the same person who he let go back at the wrestling match. And if you're so, if you're saying, if you're saying right now, anyone who's if you're listening to this, anyone who's listening to this, if you're saying right now that this sounds very much like a 2002 Tobey Maguire movie, you would be correct because they basically did pull straight from this comic. And we'll eventually, and we're, I'm eventually going to talk about, like at the end of this podcast, I'm talking about the plans for this that I have for this podcast going forward. So, anyway. So, but when Peter Parker learns that, well, Peter Parker learns that the person who he let, the criminal he let go was the same person who killed his uncle. That's when he learns to own that he messed up and that he did, he had this great power and he didn't use it. And he, and in the process, he lost his uncle. But his uncle, Uncle Ben, always used to tell him these words, which are very famously quoted throughout Spider-Man history, is, with great power, there must also come great responsibility and so it's after his uncle dies that he learns the meaning of that phrase and so that's when he decides to fully become the hero spider-man and go out and fight crime which we've seen him do for over 60 years now and of course he's also gone on to have various games and other things but like the character of spider-man comes from that origin and i know that and even myself included that think that the origins that origin stories are kind of not needed now like specific characters like Spider-Man, like we've seen it, we've seen it already. We don't need a retread, which that's I am I am in that crowd. We don't need we don't need to see the origin story like fifty times, but that's important to the Spider-Man character, and you can't just discard that. Like that's the essential to Spider-Man is. So you can skip it, but you need to allude to it, like and say that it has happened, because otherwise Spider-Man would not be Spider-Man without that origin. Even though I do think that origins are starting, even though I do think telling Spider-Man's origin is a bit not needed because we all know it, I still think it's very, it's, of course, it's still very important to the Spider-Man characters. So, 
I'm sure you guys already knew that, but that is Spider-Man's origin of Peter Parker, this nerdy kid, bit by the spider, and then and then goes through this basically a coming-of-age story to become Spider-Man. That's what makes Spider-Man stood out amongst, like I said, Spider-Man stood out amongst the other characters because Spider-Man is basically own, basically teaching you to own who you are and learn responsibility. Like, everything that happens, it teaches, like, it happens for a reason, so then you can learn something from that lesson, which is very relatable. Which, and, of course, I'm sure not everybody has been bitten by a radioactive spider, and not all of you live in New York. I think some people might. But just the, the core of Spider-Man is that he's just a normal kid who's just, he's just like everybody else, but who has these, like, fantastical things happen to him. And that's what makes Spider-Man so relatable. So, my personal thoughts on Spider-Man is, of course... I've I've always loved Spider-Man since I was four years old. Always loved Spider-Man. I've watched a lot of I watched a lot of pieces of Spider-Man. I've seen all the movies, watched a lot of the shows, and I just even I've even played the PS4 game, which is amazing. So, of course, I love Spider-Man. And when I was younger, I used to like Spider-Man just because he was cool. Like I just thought his powers were cool. I thought he was funny. I thought I loved how he was like web swinging. That was my thing. But actually, nowadays I've grown old. As I've gotten older well <laughs> older quotation marks but yes older in all seriousness older definitely have started to resonate with spider-man a lot more because i am at a high school age and like all the problems that peter parker has um i definitely can relate to because he's just like he's just a normal guy who just has who struggles with everyday problems i even sometimes struggle with those everyday problems myself i'm willing to admit and even with uncle ben i even had someone like that in my life who my grandfather, he was very much, I could say, he was very much like my real-life Uncle Ben. And then when he passed away, he also, he basically, it was, of course, I was very, it was, it was hard for me to accept, but, but one thing he taught, I guess you can say that one thing he taught me is, like, just, like, I guess you can say that, like, when after he passed away, my grandfather passed away, I guess that's what taught me to, like, be a little bit, to be more mature and own, like, just be more, like, act more, mature than I did I did before then and so basically now so nowadays I resonate with Spider-Man a lot more than I did when I was younger and definitely definitely I can see where Spider- I can definitely see why Spider-Man goes through that and how hard that is but basically that's why Spider-Man because Spider-Man has always had such a special place in my heart and I just love the Spider-Man character I just think he's awesome I love I love a lot of his villains some of them are a little out there but Spider-Man's villains are just great, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about some of them as the podcast goes on. But Spider-Man just has this great has all has just this great late abilities we talked about. He has such a great rogues gallery, which I I know I'm a little biased about this, but Spider-Man I'd say has the best rogues gallery out there of villains, like because they're all so memorable. You remember like Green Goblin, Doctor Octopus, a bunch of all the, these great Spider-Man villains. Yeah, he just has all these great. Like characters and even like even like side characters, they're all great. And like of course, so basically, I've always loved Spider Man. Spider Man has always been my favorite Marvel character, like because I just think he's I should say I just enjoy him. I think he's a cool character, but I also resonate with him a lot. And like oh, I know, but I know that's the point. I I know that's the point. That was probably the point of the character, but I definitely do resonate with Spider Man very much nowadays. Now that I've gotten to be high school age, but definitely I love the Spider Man character. I think that he's definitely aged probably the best out of all the characters. Like, some characters' names, as great as they are, like, some characters' names are a little cheesy nowadays, and some of them, some parts of them hold up. But Spider-Man, I'd say, minus the nerdy side, I'd say Spider-Man definitely holds up in today's world. And people still, to this day, love Spider-Man. Spider-Man's, like, an iconic legend. Like, it's just, like, one of the most iconic superheroes of all time because he, because when he came out, he was so different. He was a high, he was just a high school superhero, which had never been done before, and it works, it works so well because that's why he's, that's probably why I found him so interesting because he's different from everybody else. He doesn't have, like, money like Tony Stark. He's not, like, a king like Black Panther. He doesn't have, like, good looks, well, he, he, he does, like, have good looks, but he's just a normal guy that everybody can relate to, and he's just, just a great character, and, and Stanley and Steve Dick, Stanley and Steve Ditko really did a fantastic job with creating this character, Steve Ditko doing the art, 
great. They nailed it first time. That Spider-Man design is just really good. I mean, I know that I know, and also the Spider-Man costume. I would say is probably the easiest to translate to a live-action movie. Which some Marvel characters, as much as I love those costumes that Marvel characters wear in the comics, some of them look would look a little bit silly if you tried to do a do full spandex. But Spider-Man is the one exception. I say that very biasedly, but I'm being serious as I say this. Spider-Man is the one character I say you can put on camera and it won't look silly. However, the one part is like when he first debuted, he did have like underarm webs, which those don't get used anymore because if they did get used, they would look a little silly. But minus the underarm webs, mostly everything about Spider-Man's costume can be translated to the screen without it looking goofy. And then... Also, Spider-Man is, of course, red and blue. I like the red and blue design, but originally when Spider-Man came out, he was red and black with blue outlines. And I forgot why, but later they changed it to red and blue. My guess was probably just... My guess was it was probably going to add more colors. But, I mean, I don't mind either one. Like, if they do red and black or red and blue, I don't care, as long as it's Spider-Man. To me, I don't really care which, what they do with the design. So, definitely... The, so, in all, Spider-Man is definitely a character that I love... Always loved him. He has. A, I think he has a great origin, even though it's even though like I've, even though I've said it's been done so many different times. I still think that that origin is a classic coming of age origin that definitely still resonates with people to this day. I still resonate with that origin story. I do think that it's a really good origin, for, and I think I love this character. They just did such a great job. I feel like I'm just repeating myself at this point, but. I love Spider-Man, love the character, love his origins. I love his rogues gallery, which we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a lot of them in this in this podcast. But definitely love the character of Spider-Man, and, this, and you can hopefully see why I wanted to cover this because I why I wanted to do this podcast just because I love the character, and I'm also very nerdy about Spider-Man, so I get to finally put that out in podcast form. So that's the wrap up for Spider-Man. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that. So. I want to take some time at the end of this to explain like what my plans are. So like I said, I'm already going to cover Spider-Man here. And then I'm going to cover most of his villains. But I'm not going to stop there. I mean, I might do. I'm, I'm just going to do like all the major villains. Like all like the major Spider-Man villains. Like Green Goblin, Doc Ock, like I already mentioned. But after that, I don't want to, I don't want to give away everything. But I'm just going to, just to reassure you that after those, I am planning on reviewing the Spider-Man movies. Which I'm very much looking forward to. And then I'm going to go through all the Spider-Man animated series. And I mean all of them, except the, 19, except the 60s one, which I, I unfortunately am cutting out. But I am definitely looking for, planning on reviewing the Spider-Man movies and the Spider-Man shows. Just so that you guys can hear my thoughts on those as well and see what I think about how those, how those series and movies stay true to the character. Which a lot of them are great and we'll get, I'm excited to get to those at some point. But... Don't worry, all of, but for now, I'm going to stick with Spider-Man like I did on this one, and then the next one will be the next starting with the, we'll starting with the Chameleon, who we'll talk about next week as the first Spider-Man villain. So, all that to say, love Spider-Man, love his origin, and I just think he's a great, phenomenal character and one of Marvel's best, even though I think he is Marvel's best. So, thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed. Be sure to go follow me on Instagram at the spectacular spider nerd. And hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. Let me know what you thought. Well, I don't know if you can, but leave a review if you can. Let me know what you think. And also be sure to, like I said, follow me on Instagram. And I'll see you guys on the next one. Peace out, webheads. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Spectacular Spider-Nerd Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Hollingsworth, and apologies for being late, because I know this is a day late from what I normally do on Fridays, but I was busy yesterday, now I'm back at my desk, ready to start recording. So, without further ado, this is, this is another episode of the Spider-Man movie coverage, which is the infamous Spider-Man 3, and I'm sorry I'm stumbling over my words, but anyway, let's just move on. So... So, so after reviewing Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, it is inevitable that I'm going to be reviewing Spider-Man 3. And at the time, it was inevitable after the six, inevitable at the time that after the success of the first two films that there was going to be a Spider-Man 3. And so, but the, the, the thing that was different with the, with this one was there was a little bit more of creative differences, well, studio problems, which is which is what plagued this movie. And as history has shown. 
It has seen this one has gone on to be the if read as the worst of the Sam Raimi Tobey Maguire Spider Man trilogy, and some say it's the worst Spider Man movie. Although that although there's another one that we'll get into later that's that's read as even worse. Although I disagree with that. However, this this is this has definitely gone down in history as a very divisive film. I mean, there's been some defenders of it, but the general consensus is that this is definitely a bad Spider Man movie. And that's Spider Man movie, and as like I mentioned in the last episode. Is that from after Spider Man, like Spider Man One from two thousand two and Spider Man Two from two thousand four, those two are considered great Spider Man movies. And then from then on, from Spider Man Three on, all Spider Man movies are considered are very divided, like on whether or not it's a good or bad Spider Man movie. And this one is usually widely considered to be bad. And so this one is kind of complicated to talk about because this film, for me personally, this film Spider Man Three, I don't hate it. Like like a majority of people do, but I definitely do think that it's a mixed bag because there are some really good things in it, but almost all of it falls under like it has some good stuff with some good ideas, but it's some but a lot of it falls flat under bad execution and also there's some bad ideas in here which we'll talk about. So this one might be a little bit more negative than the previous two film reviews that I've done. I mean, I did have some, I did have some negative, but those are mostly just nitpicks. Like this will actually have, I do actually have some genuine issues with this movie because, like I said, it's a mixed bag for me. Um, so this one, I'm still gonna review. So this one will be broken up into the good, the mixed, the bad, and then final, my final thoughts on this film. So I just, so I'm gonna do this for all Spider-Man movies, even the ones that are. And I was like, like the integral, like I'm like, I want to make sure each film is treated fairly. So I'm going to talk about what stuff that I think is good, some stuff that I'm mixed on, and the stuff that I just don't think works. And then the final thoughts is I want to make sure every I want to give treat every film the same, even if the, even though even if one some films are better than others, I just want to make sure they're all treated equal. So without further ado, so I think the good I think the thing that this movie gets right starting starting off positive before going into because I have more negatives than positives, but I want to start off positive. I do think that this has, this this still has like the passion and the spark that the first two films did. Like in the first two films, you can tell that you can definitely tell that they were passionate about making those movies. And here, you can see that there is still some passion and some like effort to get this movie made. Like, well, not not get this, well, duh, but like get this movie done. Might make this movie. It was make sure it was done right. Like, you can still see that Sam Raimi had some passion. He tried, he's even said that he's tried to make it work. But it's just, it's just fault. There's just some, there's, there's, it's just a combination of bad ideas and bad execution and a combination of studio meddling, which we'll talk about later. About what, like, if you're wondering what I mean by that, I'll explain that later in the bad section because that ties into something in this movie. But, like, I think this movie, what this, this does have is that it still has the same, like, kind of passion. That the first two films has. It's just unlike the first two films, this one falls flat underneath bad ideas and bad execution, or even good ideas with bad bad execution. But like, but, but like, what this movie also does well is that it does bring this trilogy to a solid conclusion. It's not a perfect ending. It doesn't quite stick the landing. It struggles, but it does bring like this trilogy and this arc of the, what the films have been on. To a solid, reasonable conclusion. Like, you could reasonably see this being the conclusion to this trilogy. Even though there's some bad moments, you know, there's some outright just bad moments in this movie. Like, still, it you can't you can't deny that this is reason this was a reasonably good conclusion to what they started out with. Because it ties like sure, sure they don't resolve the Peter and Mary Jane relationship, but they do resolve the Peter and Harry friendship with Harry dying. I mean, still think, I still think there's some issues with. I still think there's some issues with Harry, but I'll talk about it later. But still, it does a good job of bringing that friendship, that relationship, to a reasonable conclusion in this trilogy, and it does stick the landing with that. It's just there is a few issues to say with that, with that, where that goes. So like, I do think that these elements are good. It does. It, does, it still has. I still think it still has the passion of the first two films. It does bring the trilogy to a to a solid conclusion, a solid enough conclusion, and it does tie up the relationship between Peter and Harry, Peter and the friendship between Peter and Harry, and it ends that on a reasonable place. But there are still some very very mixed things, so I'm gonna move on to the mixed section of this, and just so the big thing here is that 
basically, well, basically the first the first one, one thing I want to say is Harry himself. So Harry, I I want I would have put Harry in the good, but there's I still have I have some issues with Harry, so I had to put him in the mixed section. And the reason my reasoning for being mixed on Harry Osborne in this movie is because it's very weird how he's used because he's good. He's a good villain because he's following up on the storyline that's been set up throughout these first two films, where he's where he takes up it's following up what was set up at the end of Spider-Man Two, where he's taking up the the role of the Green Goblin after his father, and so he's I think that that does a good job, but it's just the way he's used is weird. Because well, first off, I don't. First off, I think the suit is lazy. I know I criticized Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin suit, but at least that had more style than just a solid black outfit with a ski mask that just looks that just looks lazy and in a flying hoverboard. But I digress. So Harry, it's just Harry's used very weird because he's the villain of the first half, like he's chasing down Peter, but then he smacks his head into that pipe and then he loses his memory. He's just being weird. And goofy throughout the whole rest of the movie, which is fun, to, which is okay to watch. But then he gets his memory back to being Green Goblin, well, because he's memory back to being, being Green Goblin. And then he goes after Peter again, they have their fight, and then he smacks his head again, and he's taken out of the. Well, he, has a, he smacks his head again at, on his own glider, and then he has a bomb go off in his face, and he's out for the count until the finale. So like, but then also what's compelling about Harry is that eventually he does turn. Like it takes some convincing from his butler, but still he does eventually turn to go help Peter in the final fight, which that's compelling. Which eventually leads to his him sacrificing himself to save Spider Man. That's com- that's good. It's just the way he's used is just so weird because, and the reason for that is because there's so many other plot lines they have to develop. And I'm going to talk about this ties into what I think the real problem with this movie is. It's just like the reason why Harry's used so weird is because they have so many other plot lines to develop that they have to end up just putting him on the back burner for like points in the movie. Like first half of the movie, he's the villain, then he bonks himself on the head, and then he's on the back burner. Then he, then after they develop Sandman and the symbiote a little bit more, then they bring him back, and then they take him out again, and then they bring him back for the finale. So it's just it's just weird. Like they just feel like they just use him and then they don't. He's just an on and off again villain. So. I think he's he's it's he's still a good compelling villain. It's just the way he's used is weird, and it's just it's not even really his fault. Not the performance either. I think the performance is good. It's just that the way he's used is weird because they have so many other plot lines and villains to develop. Speaking of which, the Sandman is another mixed element for me. Mixed mixed element for me in this movie. Now I think that Sandman. Right off the bat, I'm gonna say Sandman is easily the best villain in this movie by far. Because he's the most, because he's, because it's like, because I think he's different from re- both Green Goblin and Venom. Because he has a daughter that he's trying to provide for. Like the whole, the sole purpose of Flint Marco Sandman in this movie is to pay his daughter's medical bills in order to help her get better from the sickness that she has. Like that's the most compelling thing in this. That's the most conve- compelling motiv- villain motivation in this movie. Easily is that he just wants to pay medical bills for his daughter and just help her. That's but the only way he can do it is by turning to crime, which he doesn't want to. But he but he thinks it's the only way to do it. Now that's compelling because because he's a good guy at heart. He just has a bad way of going about it, doing bad things to get to do good. And I think that that could have easily made for a better version of the for a more interesting version of the movie. Where if instead of focusing on the symbiote, I think what would made this movie even better. Is that they've really made Sandman the true main villain in this movie, and they would have had. I think it would have been more compelling if they had they followed that storyline better. And like Spider-Man has to ask himself, is it okay to do something bad if it does something good for somebody else? Is is crime okay if you're doing it for a right cause? I think that could have been that could have easily been a way more compelling version of the film that would have flowed better. But because they chose to do the symbiote plotline and they were over, they overstuffed this movie, they just they just kind of tossed it in there. So I think that could have been compelling. But but like the thing, the issue with Sandman is that like he's he's trying to like pay medical bills for his daughter, which he does throughout the movie. But then the third act, he they kind of forget about that, and well they try to forget about that. Just they have an excuse to have a two villain team up in the final battle because. Him, what he's doing in the final battle will not help him get medical bills for his daughter. So that's an inconsistent thing. But the real issue I have with Sandman in this movie, I think he's a, I still, I still think he's easily the best one. But what really, really, I really have an issue with the Sandman in this movie is the Uncle Ben retcon. 
So we know in the first movie that Dennis Carradine was the one who shot Uncle Ben. That's what they told us in the first movie. But then here, they, they retconned that to say that Sandman is the one who really killed Uncle Ben. And the other guy was just his partner. And that's, that is very frustrating for them to do. Because the reason they did that is because they were trying really hard to give another villain a, connect, a personal connection to Peter Parker. Like what they did with Green Goblin and like what they did with Dr. Octopus. But here, it doesn't work because they retconned something that was already established in the first Spider-Man movie. Like, they had, and it's something they had already closed the book on. Like, him, like him um, not accidentally killing that Robert who shot Uncle Ben's death. Him accidentally, him accidentally causing that Robert's death in the first film closes the book on the Uncle Ben story. But when they retcon it here, it just feels like that they're just dragging that out. Like... I feel like that there was this is just an unnecessary thing. Like the, the reason they did it is just so they can give Sandman a catch to Peter Parker, which they didn't need to do. I personally think they didn't need to do that. One, because the Uncle Ben story had already been closed off, because that's part of the origin. You don't need to make that the sole purpose of Spider-Man, which that was, which I think that which, that's not what the character is. But I, but I digress. And like, but like Sam, but like the thing is with that, like I think Sandman, you didn't need to retcon Sandman to be the the true killer of Uncle Ben, so we can have just so we can have a connection to Peter. Why, like I said, like like I said, what they could have done to make Sandman more interesting and way more compelling is if they gave they really dive into his his motivation of wanting to get medical bills for his daughter and really make that his sole plot line of the film instead of having all the other stuff, which I think that could have been for a way, way more compelling and intriguing film. But because they put so much other stuff in here, that just kind of gets lost in it. So then here, another thing that I want to talk about, glassing in the mix section before going on to the bad, that stuff that I really think doesn't work. Like, Sam and Harry, for their flaws, I do think that they work well enough in this movie. And then this, this next thing I'm, I'm going to touch on, I think works fine enough. But the bad, the, the bad section is just stuff I think that doesn't, just doesn't work at all. So the next thing, the last thing I want to touch on is the, is the visual effects in this movie. So like I mentioned in the first two that the visual effects were definitely very groundbreaking, like for what they were able to do in the first film, what the web swinging that was ne- had never been done before, and they really, really pulled that technology off very well. And they also really d- did the action scenes well. Spider-Man Two up that. There's more swinging scenes that I think are better, and there's even better action scenes in Spider-Man Two. And then here, like a day with everything in this movie, they just went, they just went all out with everything because that's why there's more villains, more subplots, and more visual effects. So. Like you can see that they start to use less sets and more green screens and CGI. So like, that's what they did in this one. Cause like the first, that's why I think the first two works. They did they did a mix of like practical and CG, which I think works works for those movies. But here they go all CG, and like you have to be very careful when you do that. Cause when you do full CG fights, you run the risk of it not looking realistic. It's just looking like you're watching a video game. And that's what it looks. That's what some of these action scenes are. Like the specifically, take for example, specifically the very first fight scene with Peter and Harry at the beginning. And it's good on a character level, but on like a fight level, I mean, it's good well enough. But like, they lean so heavy into visual effects that like it's just, and like it just goes so like some of the visual effects kind of weren't. They did some stuff that the CG wasn't quite ready to do yet. So you have like all these rubbery faces that they're flying all around and you have all these close-up shots of their faces that just look odd because it's just rubbery faces and the CG wasn't quite ready to do that. And it just looks like you're it just looks like you're watching a video game. Like the scene where they're in between the buildings just goes on for miles and miles just in between buildings, which just doesn't seem realistic. And it's just like it gets to, I mean, at least you see you see real humans in it, but it just feels like it almost gets to the point like where you're watching a video game. But some action scenes work. I do like the very first fight scene on the, what's the when Sandman's robbing the truck and Spider-Man's chasing after him. That I do like. I think that's a good, well-crafted action scene. Like where he he does a classic thing where he punches his hand through Sandman's chest. I do like that scene. And then I also like the final battle. I do even like the final battle. I mean, sure, there's some stuff in it I don't like. I'm gonna touch on it in a second, but I do think that that's a very good classic Spider-Man final battle on a big skyscraper, and all these villains are attacking. I do, I do like that action scene. But the action scenes that I also think tie way into CG is those fight scene with Sandman and Spider-Man in the subway tunnel because it just goes on for tunnels and tunnels and tunnels, and there's endless tunnels everywhere. 
And, like, he's doing all these, like, he's just doing all that. Like, they're falling at one point. And even in the finale, they do that. Oh, one, one final thing. I also do like the rescuing of Gwen Stacy scene because that's different. Because, like, most Spider-Man rescue scenes are, like, they're intentionally doing it. What makes this one stand out is that it's just a random accident. Like, that crane was random. What was just randomly accidentally going off? Like, it wasn't like some villain had masterly schemed that to happen. That was just an accident, basically, which is, which is interesting to do. And I do like that. It's like a practical set that just drops. And also, it's a nice little touch to, like, when St- the death of Gwen Stacy. Like, they kind of play with their expectations with that. But, they, of course, Spider-Man saves her because Gwen Stacy's not really the true love interest of the series. Although, they try to make her in this movie. But... Well, we'll touch we'll touch on that a little bit later. So, like, but like I do like that one. But like the final battle, as much as I like it, there's still they still lean heavily into the CG because there's that point where like they're fall like Peter and Venom are falling and they're like punching each other. But like Peter's mask is off and you can t- and like the CG just looks dated because you can tell that it just looks very rubbery. Doesn't look as realistic because the CG wasn't quite there yet. And so it just looks like you're just watching two video game characters fighting each other. And then later, Harry comes in on his goblin team, which is still compelling. That's, the, that's easily one of the best parts of that final battle is when Harry comes in to help Peter. But then, of course, when they're flying around on his board, you can see, like, again, their faces are showing. So it just looks like unpolished CGI. It doesn't look like it was quite ready to the CGI. Like I said, the CGI wasn't quite ready to do that. And so when you're going so... Over when you're swinging for the fences so much with this CG, some of it works, and it, you have to risk because it runs the risk of one doesn't look realistic, and two is this gonna age well? And I don't think it does either. Of that I don't think that it ages. It has not aged well very much. I mean, the Sandman effects eight. I think I think an exception for the Sandman of visual effects. Those have aged I think pretty well, but. I don't think that like the like when you do this, it doesn't look doesn't seem like these final battles have aged well. And like it just doesn't like it just there's nothing like grounding it to reality. It just look it can, you have to run the risk of getting to the point where it just looks like a video game. So then that's that. And so then we get to the actual negatives of this movie, and that is of course the most, which is what most people hate about this movie was what was easily the biggest disappointment for a lot of people when this movie was coming out was the the treatment of the Venom and the black suit storyline with of course emo peter parker so venom is a very very popular spider-man character and so he has like i like i mentioned on the venom episode he's not really a part of the classic spider-man rogues gallery because he was he wasn't introduced until issue like 200 like so he wasn't until like way later to like late 80s early 90s so venom was very far removed from like the classic spider-man rogues gallery during like when they all came out in the, like all the spider-man villains that came out in the 60s those are all like classic spider-man villains classic spider spidey rogues venom wasn't until like late 80s and he was he had grown very popular because of because he was because he was tied to a very popular storyline with the black suit spider-man and so venom so like because venom was so popular that's why he was put in this movie i'll even discuss discuss that Later, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess. I'm later after this. I'm gonna discuss why this movie kind of falls apart. But like the treatment of Venom, it's just well. First of all, it's bad casting because Topher Grace does not seem like a good fit for. It's not a good fit for Eddie Brock Venom at all. He's way too skinny. I mean, from what I've heard, he put on like 20 pounds of only 20. He put on 20 pounds of muscle to be on to be in this movie, which he's good. But like, it just doesn't seem right to have a skinny. Venom in this movie. He's not. I mean, he's not skinny. He's like. He's just like a regular sized man. Venom. He's about the same height as Peter Parker. When traditionally Eddie Brock is like this big bodybuilder, like really muscular man. So then when the Venom symbiote bonds with him, it just makes him even bigger and more muscular than he already is. So that's what the symbiote. That's part of what the symbiote does. and enhances your physical strength. So because Eddie Brock is this big buff man, like that's what Venom. When the symbiote Venom symbiote gets him, it makes him even more buff and bigger. I mean, the Venom movie, sure, I have some issues. I do have some very clear issues with those Venom movies. At least they get the look of the Venom character right, minus the white symbol, which I'll touch on whenever I review the Venom movies. But here, I mean, at least, like, here, I mean, I, have inter- I do have an interesting, but, like, this Venom, I think what's, I think Venom, like, there's a good thing with Venom, because, like, he's traditional to the comics, where he's a rival photographer, which basically just, and he basically just, he's basically if Peter Parker was a jerk, this is, this is what, this is who, Eddie, this is who he would be. Eddie Brock is basically just if Peter Parker was a jerk. And so, like, it works well because it's, like, traditional comic story, and it's very reminiscent of the 90s Spider-Man cartoon and and the comics, but it's just, like I said, it just falls flat on their bad casting 
and two, it falls flat on their just just the way it's handled. Because first off, right at the beginning of the scene, when Peter and MJ are sitting in the web, they have that asteroid, the symbiote, in just fall out of nowhere, and like there's no explanation for why it came. It just lands in the lands in the middle of Central Park, conveniently next to Peter Parker, and they never explain like where it comes from and why it was attracted to Peter, but. Like, <coughs> they just go on with it like this because they need because they go on because they need the plot to move forward. That's the only reason they just put them in there. They just drop it in out of nowhere. And like, well, however, in Spider-Man Two drafts, apparently there actually was a like an early draft of this movie. Originally, there was a version where they had a scene of John Jameson bringing the symbiote back from space. Like, like he comes like John Jameson from Spider-Man Two when because he went to space. And the original version of Spider-Man Three, the opening scene would have been him coming back from space, and he would have been like, look what we found in space, and it would have been the symbiote, and that would have been a perfect way to put Venom in this movie, but because Sam Raimi have actually never had any intentions of using Venom in his trilogy, which I'll touch on, which I'll touch on a little bit, that's why, that, that's why they didn't put that in the beginning of the movie, because Sam Raimi apparently had no interest in using Venom, which I'll, talk, which I'll touch on, and so... Like, and that's like the issue with Venom back to the, like, they just drops that out of nowhere. So it's just, that's just lazy writing. And so then when it gets to Peter's apartment, it literally, it literally, because they want to focus in on Sandman, they literally put the symbiote in his apartment and it just chills for about 30 to 45 minutes, maybe even an hour of screen time until Peter has learned that Sandman's the uncle, is really his uncle's killer. And then he starts to get angry, and then after like 30 minutes, it chooses to get on, chooses to bond with him. Although I do like that because it's a nod to the 90s cartoon. Because in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, there was an episode when they did the alien, when they did the alien costume story. They had a they had a scene where Peter was asleep on his was asleep and dreaming, and then symbiote would have taken over him. And then in that episode of the show, he wakes up hanging upside down in a black costume. And this movie very clearly pays an homage to that with Peter having a dream and the symbiote bonding with him while he's dreaming. And then he wakes up in the black costume hanging upside down, which is a very clear homage to Night's cartoon. I do love that. Which is the way the symbiote uses, it's like the Harry thing. Like, it's just like, it's like the Harry thing. Because like, Harry's just like, he's using it, he bonks himself on the head and he's on the back burner. The symbiote's introduced, it goes into Peter's apartment and it's on the back burner, chilling there for about like 30 minutes of screen time. And then it bonds with him later in the movie. And also, like, the scene, of course, there was a scene where Peter, where Spider-Man chooses to kiss when Stacey, which just feels out of character, and, I'm to and I do think I am on, totally on um, Mary Jane's side. Like, Peter should not have done that, because that is very out of character for Spider-Man to do. What, what would have fixed that is if they had had a symbiote bond with Peter earlier in the movie, so then it would have made more sense for why he chooses to kiss Gwen Stacy, who he barely knows, in front of everybody while his girlfriend is watching. That would have made way more sense if the symbiote had bonded with him earlier. It would have made way more sense. Also, side note, I, another side note, I do think that Mary Jane, I, know, I, do, I, I mean, of course, Mary Jane is just a dead horse that's been beaten by, so, by everybody so many times. Like, everyone, everyone hates her in these movies. I mean, it's, this movie easily has her worst acting and her worst writing. But I still don't, but it's just like I said in the Spider-Man 2, she's using what she's given. I mean, it's not like, it's just more of the writing of her character rather than her herself. Maybe her acting could be better, but still, it's just, well, that's just what she's given. And I just choose not to judge her too harsh. I think just, I just think, this is easily her worst performance, but she's still not terrible. And this is attracting my enjoyment of this film. But like, but like still, like Spider-Man, like the symbiote is used. And then whenever it bonds with Peter, it's used in the weirdest way. Because when when MJ when Harry turns MJ against Peter, that's when Peter starts to snap, and then he bonks Harry's head again, and then after Harry's taken out, they go into full, which has been memed so many times, and it's easily viewed as one of the most embarrassing scenes in Hollywood history, is emo Peter Parker, which is easily the worst idea that they've ever come up with this trilogy. I'd love to know whose idea this was, but it just feels so out of place and out of character for Spider-Man Peter Parker to be walking down the street doing finger guns and doing weird dance numbers. As, as fun as that is to do around the house, which I do do that dance move all the time, as fun as that is to do and as fun as it is to meme, it makes no sense in the movie with the character of Spider-Man doing that. He's just, like, just waltzing down the street, finger guns, doing all this weird hippie stuff. It just makes... It's fun to meme and it's fun to do like in real life. It's fun. I have fun doing the dance moves, but... It just doesn't make any sense within the context of the character. It just falls, and that's just easily a bad 
idea. And it's sad because this is like one of the most popular story arcs of Spider-Man. It's Black Costume Spider-Man. It's like one of the most popular Spider-Man stories ever. It's one of the most classic stories. And then like when they adapted it, it's just it was just wrong. It's just the way they did it was just was fell flat in the back execution. It's just also gets mixed in with too many plot lines, which that ties into so like it's just I touched on the symbiote story. So like final thoughts. It's just, it's just a, it was just didn't work. I just do not think it worked at all. They should have just taken this. They should have never put this in. But that, like that, that was never Sam Raimi's fault. And so that ties into what I think is the real problem with this movie. And that's, this is, other movies have suffered from this. Other superhero movies have suffered from the same problem. And that is that this movie, it's not Venom is not the real problem with this movie. It's not Sandman. It's not anything else. It's just that it's overstuffed with too many plot lines as well as studio meddling. So what happened is, like I mentioned, like I mentioned in the beginning, there's some production trouble with this one. So what happened is, Sam Raimi, the director of these movies, he wanted Harry Osborn as the Green Goblin, he wanted Sandman as the main villain, and he wanted the Vulture at the beginning of this movie to be kind of like a beginning movie, a beginning the beginning villain who would get away and then would come back for Spider-Man Four. But producer Avi Arad of of Columbia Pictures who owns the rights to Spider the movie rights to Spider-Man he insisted that Sam Raimi put Venom in this movie because he was so popular and he thinks that if they put he thought that if they put Venom in that would just please all the fans all the fans would eat it up which it did when people heard that Venom was going to be in the movie it did make them more excited but that was the only reason he, they forced Sam Raimi to put Venom in the movie is because they thought that, that everyone was just that would just please everybody if they put Venom in the movie. But Sam Raimi, who on the but Sam Raimi who has publicly stated that he does not like the Venom character at all. And that's why he never intended on using Venom in the Spider-Man trilogy, in his Spider-Man trilogy, is because he doesn't understand the Venom character and he doesn't even he doesn't really resonate with him, mainly because he doesn't like it when villains have the same power as the heroes. He doesn't find it as compelling. And he doesn't he doesn't really connect with the with Venom character because of that reason. But Aviarad insisted that he did it, so then he did it anyway. And so that's kind of what led to this. And so that's why, that leads into why this movie is, so that was the studio meddling. That was the big issue with this movie, is Sony messed this movie too much. If they had stayed back, they could have let San Raimi hit out the, they could have let San Raimi knock it out of the park a third time and stick the landing on this trilogy. But they chose to get involved because they think they're so high and mighty, and it ended up messing up this movie because there were so many plot lines. Because when they added, when they forced, because they already had this, the Harry Osborn plot line, and they had the Sandman plot line, but when you put the symbiote storyline on top of that, that's really what messes everything up and starts to get, that's when, that's when you have to start rushing through plot points beat by beat. So, like, I know I've mentioned this, because they had three villains, and they had to, like, break, they had to do this real weird way of how to, like, develop everything. So, they have Harry Osborn as a villain for the first half, but then they bonk him on the head. And take him out, and then they focus in on Sandman and his family, and so he's being focused on. But then they literally wash him away. So then they bring in the symbiote Spider-Man again to focus on that, and then and then they t- then they bring Harry Osborn back after being on the back burner and being weird. So then they have him fight him fight Peter, and then he bonks his head again. Like it repeats the same idea in the same movie because you have to delay things and move and just put things on the back burner just to focus on all these different plot points. So they put here in the back burner again and then they put symbiote Spider-Man focused on again to do weird emo Peter Parker stuff. And then in the finale they bring Sandman back and they have Venom him and Venom team up. And it's just when you have all of this, this many plot lines that that do that don't really go together, it starts to be it starts to feel like you're just juggling them around and you're microwaving things, you're just rushing through it, and you're not developing it well enough. And that's the true issue with this movie is that it's just suffered from Sony meddling with this movie. It just had too many plot points where a lot of things that could have been good get lost in the mix because they have so many other plot lines to focus on. And so that's the true issue with this movie is that if Sony had – I truly believe that if Sony had stayed back, if they had never forced him to put Venom in this movie, San Raimi could have easily made this one of the best Spider-Man movies and could have easily capped off his trilogy with a bang. So then final – so because that, that didn't happen and because after like almost 20 years of having this movie, like fifth, almost, 15, almost 15 years of having this movie part of our lives – what are my final thoughts on it? So I know I've mentioned that this is easily a mixed bag because I think there's some stuff that does work, 
but there's also some stuff that doesn't work. It just absolutely kind of bogs it down. So, in all thoughts, I still think it's a mixed bag. Like, if I were to, score, I'm just gonna score this. If I were to score this, I just give this a, at least it's just a solid C plus. I don't hate this movie. I don't love it. I mean, I'm, it's still sad. I'm still I'm a little bit. It's just a, it's a it's slightly negative, but I think it at its core it does have some stuff that does work, and it's just I love and it's just like I like this world well enough. And like I think, I think the good stuff does work enough as well to where I think it kind of over almost doesn't like let the bad stuff bog it down. So like I can easily just give this a C plus, just just a solid five out of ten. It's not terrible, and I don't hate this movie. And maybe that's just like, but like I think the re- and I think my reasoning for that, like I I think the reason why I don't truly hate this movie is just because I love the I just I just enjoy the world of Spider Man. That's maybe that's maybe why I'm not as harsh on this as as, as everybody else is because I just, I just love the character of Spider Man and usually I don't really care. A lot of times I just don't really care if the stuff is good or bad. I just enjoy seeing Spider Man characters on the Spider Man character on screen and going on the ride with Spider Man because it's just. I think I love the Spider-Man character enough to where I can just easily sit down and watch a movie, or good or bad, and just have and just have fun with it because it's just because I just like because I like the Spider-Man character and I just love the Spider-Man character enough and just and have resonated with him so much that where I don't really care if it's, if what he ha- if a movie good or bad I still can I still can have enjoyment out of it out of it and still like I admit this movie is very flawed yeah I can I'm not overlooking its flaws but. I just enjoy spending time with the character of Spider-Man, watching, going on a going on a, a fun ride with the Spider-Man character. I think there's some good stuff here at its core that works. It just could have been way better if the if the studio had stayed back and let Sam Raimi step, just let Sam Raimi take take control and bring his trilogy to a solid end. So that's so. Those are my long extended thoughts. On Spider-Man Three, this is a very like I said, like a, like this is a very divisive film. Let me know what you think about Spider-Man Three. Do you think it's do you think it has some merit to it, or do you think it's just absolutely awful? I'm interested to hear what you think. Next week, um, next week will be a little different. I'm not gonna be reviewing the Andrew Garfield films just yet. Just you wait on that. Next week, I'm going to be instead of doing the Andrew Garfield films right away. I'm going to review I'm going, uh, next week. Next week's episode will be a very different one, which I'm going to be very excited to do. It will be discussing the story of Sam Raimi's canceled Spider-Man Four. I was originally going to put that at the end of this episode, but it's too long of a story to tack on to the end of this. I thought so. I decided to give it its own episode. So next week, not any Spider-Man yet, but I will. Next week's episode will be the the story of the tr- of Sam Raimi's canceled Spider-Man Four. So be on the lookout for that next week. Hopefully. So that will be in the next podcast that I record. So hopefully, hopefully you've enjoyed this coverage of the Saint Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. Let me know which one's your favorite, and also be sure to tune in next week for when I discuss what Saint Raimi Spider-Man Four could have been, and if it could still happen. We'll have to wait and see. So anyway, thank you guys for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Spectacular Spider Nerd, and hopefully you enjoyed. And hopefully you enjoyed my my review of Spider-Man Three. And be sure, and I'll see you guys in the next one. Peace out, webheads.